Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling on the ground. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping, he asked them. Get up and pray so you will not fall into temptation. While he was still speaking, a crowd came up, and a man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, we, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, no more of this, and he touched the man's ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard, the elders who had come for him, Am I leading a rebellion that you've come at me with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts and you didn't lay a hand on me. But this is your hour when darkness reigns. Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. But when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he had finished speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. We've been looking at Peter's life and this has to be one of the most difficult things. And I just want to know, I've been thinking about this all week. When Peter's by the fire... And that people are asking him questions, and I'm, and I'm watching the video, getting ready for tonight. And I'm thinking, was Peter scared? Was he scared? Is that why he said, I don't know that man? Because Peter doesn't strike me as a scared individual that night. There's a lot of things that went wrong in Peter's life that right. I mean, there's a lot of things we can learn from when we think about temptation and the temptation to deny Christ or to hold Christ at arm's length. There's a lot of things going on in Peter's life. I'd like to point out a few of them. The first thing I'd share with you um, is, was Peter self-confident? And I think we can answer that question and say, yes, he is. Peter was very self-confident that night. At the Last Supper, the Lord, Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper, and he's talking to his disciples, and he says, All of you are going to desert me. All of you are going to fall away. And Peter says, no, no, even if I have to die, I will not leave you. It's kind of like, I'm ready to die. I'm ready to die. His self-confidence is so high. Isn't it a dangerous thing for us to say, not me, I would never disown him. 
I'd never leave him. I'd never speak against him. I'm too good for that. I'm above that. I'm too strong for that. That's what Peter did. I'm strong. I'm Peter. I would never do that. And Jesus is actually going to do it three times. Self-confidence can be a very dangerous thing. God-confidence is a very beautiful thing, saying the Lord's going to give me strength when I'm tempted, when I'm tried, when people are against me. God's going to help me. But Peter has this, I will never, I'm ready to die. And, and all that works against him, that, that, that prideful, perhaps, self-confidence. Was he self-confident? Oh, yes. He was ready to die. Was Peter attacked by the devil? You know, was he, was he under spiritual attack? Was that going to happen? Yes. We can say yes. In Peter's life that night, there was intense spiritual struggle. You ever had temptation so strong you were sweating? You know, that, that, that just felt so real to you? That, that's Peter. It, it was real. Satan, Jesus says to Peter, Satan is asked to sift you like wheat, but I prayed for you, Peter, that your faith will not fail. Uh, Peter was under severe spiritual attack. Jesus predicted it. And so it is with us. We have a, a lion that's devouring people, and, and we're in the crosshairs. The lion wants to devour us. He wants to take us down. As Paul would say, the flaming arrows are coming at us to get us to step away from our Savior and leave him. What else can we say about Peter? Was Peter prayerless? Yes. We could say Peter was prayerless. In the garden, they go to pray, and, and, and Jesus leads the disciples over here, and, and it's their custom to pray in the garden. That's, that's their normal place. It's a peaceful place. So he leaves, leaves the disciples here and takes Peter, James, and John, and they kind of go with Jesus to another place. And Jesus is so full of sorrow, and they're just tired. They're just tired. And Jesus leaves them and prays, and he tells them, keep watch with me, keep watch and pray. Perhaps that watchfulness is just staying awake and praying. Maybe, maybe they were supposed to keep watch for the guards that were going to be coming soon. But, but he says, keep watch. In other words, don't, don't sleep, pray, because the spirit is willing, the body is weak. But Peter's prayerless. He's sleeping. And so it is when we're tempted. When we're tempted, it's often at a place where we're being prayerless. That, that, that we're not seeking God for His help. We're just prayerless. And so we're vulnerable. Prayer is a weapon to fight these battles. And when we don't pray, it, it, it's like we're going out unarmed. And so Peter's unarmed. He's vulnerable. He's prayerless. In the garden, uh, when the soldiers come and the officials of the Jewish officials come to get Jesus, they ask, you know, are you Jesus of Nazareth? And Jesus says, I am he. And, and another gospel records, they all kind of fall back when Jesus identifies himself. And Peter at some point is like, this is my time to die with Jesus. And he gets out the sword and swings and, and chops off the high priest's servant's ear. There's a little bit of discussion on that because some translations make it look like it might be his earlobe, but maybe it's his whole ear. In any case, Jesus healed it. He healed the ear. But in that moment, 
was Peter ready to die? And I got to say, yeah. When you got a group of soldiers, and, and, and they've got, they got the torches, they got the weapons, they've come to arrest your rabbi, and you've got a sword. Apparently there was two swords among them. And, and you've got one of them, Peter, and you're going to start swinging. You're ready to die. You're ready to die for what you believe. You're not taking my rabbi without a fight. He's going to set up his kingdom. And if he doesn't, I'm going to die with him. You're going to have to take us all out. Peter was ready to die. Later that night, disciples scatter. John and Peter don't scatter. John follows, and and, and they end up with the high priest that night. And, and John has connections with the high priest. So he, John the disciple, gets into the, the courtyard area. Peter doesn't have access to the courtyard. He's not as uh, well known, so he's kind of on the outside. But John gets him in. John gets Peter into the courtyard. Peter wants to see what's going to happen. And, and, and you know, everything's going through Peter's mind right now. What's happening? They're arresting him. They're going to kill him. So my question again is, was Peter scared? And I can't answer, just, just looking at Peter's life, I can't answer confidently that he was scared. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But I do know three different people identified him as a Galilean, one of Jesus' disciples, and he said, I don't know the man. In fact, he took an oath. I, I swear, I, I don't know that guy. And I've got to wonder, I think where I'm at right now is I have to wonder if Peter was just so let down that his rabbi, his master, had been talking about death, talking about dying, and now it looks like it's going to happen. He'd washed his feet. Rabbis don't wash feet. He he seemed to be behaving all of a sudden not like he was going to set up a kingdom. I mean, yeah, you had the triumphal entry, the donkey comes into Jerusalem, and that was a high point, but all this other stuff, it makes me wonder if Peter was just let down that there was no glory in all this. It didn't make sense. And so maybe when Peter said, I don't know that man, maybe there's some depth there. And Jesus at that point was almost unrecognizable to Peter. What he's standing for, what he's suffering for, what he's doing here, he's not having us fight. When I tried to fight, he told me to put my sword away. This is not how you establish kingdoms, people. This is not how you do it. And it went so contrary to what Peter understood that he was just done, don't want anything to do with this, or that man. And maybe he was a little scared of dying. But the Peter that was swinging the sword wasn't scared to die. I know at that point he wasn't scared to die. And then something happens. Something happens. He disowns Jesus, 
And if, then if you look at um, verse 61, it says, After the rooster crowed, the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. And so there's this exchange. I think only Luke records it, where Peter denies knowing Jesus, and then Jesus turns and he's able to look at Peter and see him. And he sees right into him. And i got to think that that causes the sor- some of the sorrow. The denial causes a lot of the sorrow. But, but seeing Jesus turn, what do you think he had on his face? What do you think was on Jesus' face when he looked at him? And i got to think it was love, sadness, compassion. Jesus could see right into Peter. Listen, we, I think... All of us are at times tempted to step away from Jesus and say, I don't, I don't want as much to do with that. How, how are we tempted to deny Jesus? There's some passages in the Bible that uh, deal with our, our denials. I want to show you a few of them. Can we put the first one up? Uh, Titus 1.16. Some people, they profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They're detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Clearly talking about an unbeliever, but I want to look at the spirit behind which this was written. There are times when we are hypocrites, when our works say, I don't care much about Christ. There are times when everything we say we believe, everything we say is right, we do the opposite. The word hypocrite actually comes from a, a Greek word uh, that meant an actor on a stage. So if you were a good hypocrite, you were like a really good performer. Over time, it took on a negative connotation. It, it began to mean someone who uh, acted one way over here and one way over here in, in a negative way. You can't trust a person like that. So... Is it true of you that you act one way at work and one way with your family, one way at church and another way with your buddies? When we're not consistent, you know, Scripture says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, but when we're not consistent and we lack integrity, who are you when no one else is watching but the Lord? Who are you at that point when you're all by yourself at home? Who are you? What do you do? What do you find yourself doing? Those things say something about you. And they could be works that show that you deny Christ. Not in the way this is saying. These people are clearly not saved. But maybe our works are saying, when I'm alone at home, I don't care about Jesus. Like, could you say that? Could you say that? When I'm with my buddies... And it's just us having a good time. I don't care about Jesus. When I'm at school, and I'm just trying to do school and do life, you know, fit in with everybody, I don't care about Jesus. That's what your works are saying. That's what they say. They deny Jesus. 
Here's another one. We could put this one up. Matthew 10:33. Whoever denies me before men, I'll also deny before my Father in heaven. Again, taking this literally, Jesus is talking about someone who disowns Christ. If you disown Christ, he's going to disown you in heaven. You're not getting into heaven. But there are ways that we begin to approach that kind of an attitude. And I'd say it's in our witness. It's in our witness. If you deny me before men, before people, when you're around people, are you ashamed of me? Are you ashamed of Jesus when you're around people? Because, like it or not, our culture is growing more and more antagonistic to Christianity. Are you embarrassed about that? When you're around people who love science, are you embarrassed to love the invisible God? When you're around people who are really good, moral, um, quotes, good, moral, unbelievers, you know what I mean by that, right? You know, they're, they're, they're not killing anybody. They're not, they're not wreaking havoc. D- do you feel like your faith is just like, any, like you're like anybody else? You know, nothing different about us. Do you feel that way? Are you embarrassed of Jesus in public? Because if you are, you make him seem very, very small to everyone else around you. And you may say he's the creator of all things, and he could fit the universe in the palm of his hand. You may, you may say that, you may sing those kind of things on a Sunday, but if you're embarrassed about him on a Monday, you're saying he's very a very small Savior indeed. It's your witness. If he died for you, why wouldn't you speak about him? If he loved you so well, why wouldn't you show that to other people around you? Wouldn't it just be natural? Thirdly, um, John two, First John two twenty two. Who's the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ, this is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son are words, uh, more specifically, lying words, lying words, words that that bring Jesus down a level or two. There's some very uh, well known, I suppose, cults that want to bring. Jesus down a level. Cults will say, Jesus is divine. He's not deity. This time of the year, they're, they're very much out there. They may have been to your door this year. Um, whenever you try to bring Jesus down a level, whenever you want to make him more uh, man and less God, that's a spirit of the Antichrist. It's a spirit of the Antichrist. If you deny Jesus is the Christ, he's the Messiah, he's the Son of God sent to earth to die for sin, whenever you try to bring him and make him less than what he really is, that spirit of the Antichrist. Whenever you try to play these games and say all religions are going to the same place, no, the Messiah is the one who died for the sins of humanity. There's no salvation anywhere else. We dare not deny him by pretending he's just like any other world religion. We love those people in other world religions and we seek their salvation. And we don't bring Jesus down to the level of other uh, prophets, other religious speakers. He's in a category all on his own. He's the Messiah. 
So Luke records this in the next chapter. As they led him away, they seized Simon the Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children, for a time will come when you will say, Blessed are the barren women, the women, the wombs that never bore, the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, Fall on us, and the hills cover us. For if men do these things when the tree is green, what happens when it's dry? Two other men, both criminals, were also led out to him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, there they crucified him, along with the criminals, one on his right, one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him, and they said, He saved others. Let him save himself if he's the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you're under the same sentence? We're punished justly for we're getting what our deeds deserve, but this man's done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today you'll be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour for the sun stopped shining and the curtain of the temple was torn in two and Jesus called out in a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. Images that Peter would never be able to get out of his mind. Seeing his rabbi hanging on the cross knowing that he denied him hours earlier, and then seeing Jesus' piercing gaze into his very soul on that night he was arrested. This is what I know. This is what I know. Jesus sees into the depths of our heart, and he loves us completely and sacrificially. He's seen all your failures. He knows what you've done last year. He knows I don't deserve to be standing up here talking about it. He knows you don't deserve to be benefiting from it. But he loves you. He's seen it all. The private things, the secret things, the things you don't tell other people, he's seen it. The things that you do with your friends that you know is not quite right, but it's just the buddies, he's seen it. You can't hide it. Think about his eyes looking into your life. What does his face look like? Some of you instantly think disappointment. I would argue love. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Often for us it's, Father, forgive them for they do not what they know. We don't do what we know to do. And yet he sacrificed himself to cover all of it. Praise God.
and praise Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, so many times the betrayal has been my own. I know exactly what I was supposed to do and I didn't do it. I knew exactly what I wasn't supposed to do and I did it. There's been these kinds of denials in my own life. And yet you've forgiven me every single time. Thank you. Thank you.